Hi, thanks so much for tuning in to our Compass Bible Church Women's Bible Study. Uh, My name is Stephanie Schwartz. I'm the Director of Women's Ministry here at Compass, and we're going through the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians right now. In fact, we happen to be in the text of 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 right now. Uh, Our teacher this week is Carlin Fabares. Carlin happens to be the wife of our senior pastor, Mike Fabares. She's also the mother of three great and grown kids, Matthew, John, and Stephanie. And she happens to be a really good friend of mine. In fact, I've known Carlin for about... 25 years now, so about a quarter of a century. And one thing I can say for sure is that Carlin not only teaches the truth, but she lives it out as well. She's one of my spiritual heroes. So prepare your heart to hear from God's word through Carlin's teaching. When I was in college, the Olympics came to LA, and I remember being so excited that my hometown was going to host this international competition. But my most vivid memory of those Olympics um, was not some great victory, and it wasn't some you know amazing U.S. medal count. It was the finish of the women's marathon. It was actually the first time that the Women's Marathon had come to the Olympics, and uh, maybe some of you remember that too, but it was definitely one for the history books. You see, the leaders had cleared the finish line by like 20 minutes when a gal whose name was Gabriella Anderson Schies from Switzerland entered the LA Coliseum to make her last lap around the track. It was a quarter mile lap, and um, when she got in there, it only took about two seconds for even a non-runner like myself to realize Something is seriously wrong with this girl. Because all of a sudden, when she entered, you could see that she was basically leaning from side to side. And then all of a sudden, she would take a few steps one way, and then she would stop. She would turn. She would shuffle back across the lanes. She had her head bowed. She was shuffling back and forth. She was dragging her foot, and she was obviously completely disoriented. She was making progress, but it was a very slow progress. And almost immediately, a couple of the Olympic officials ran up to her. Now, they weren't allowed to touch her because she would be disqualified if they did, but they began to talk to her, and they began to um, question her, obviously, to find out how she was doing and what was going on. She continued to make slow progress as they almost stalked her as she continued to traverse her way around that last lap. Well, she had entered the Coliseum after running over 26 miles. And she says that her brain was clear. She was focused. She knew what her task was. She understood what she was supposed to do. The problem is she could not get her muscles to cooperate with her brain. You see, she had accidentally missed the last of the five water stations that were required at that point in a marathon competition. She had passed it right by, and she hadn't noticed it was there. And so because of that, she was severely dehydrated at this point in an 86-degree hot and humid day in August in downtown LA. So here was this gal. She was about to not finish something that she had trained her entire life for, Would she make it those last 400 meters? Would she be able to push through? Would she finish the race? Well, ladies, we have a race in front of us right here and right now. 
And the question for us is the same as it was for her. Will we pull through? Will we make it? Will we finish the race God laid out before us? In order for us to have the steadfastness that we are going to need to successfully complete the race God has given us, we're going to have to do the same kind of thing that I'm sure Gabriella had in her going on in her mind in order for her to hopefully be successful. And that is that she'd have to gather up the necessities, the things that she needed most to succeed, just like we will. And our God is so good because he has given us a book and his book is full of instructions, things for us to do, things that we need to know in order for us to successfully complete the race we have in front of us, even in this season of our lives. But I'm confident when we finish our study in 2 Thessalonians 2 today, that we will have everything we need in order to succeed and actually cross over the finish line of our race well. Now we're going to turn to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Hopefully you're already there with me. But 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 says this, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul here wants to spur us on in the midst of our race, and he does it by reminding us right here at the beginning of who's with us, who's behind us, who's got our back, and who's cheering us on. And he's going to make it crystal clear right here in this passage that it's God himself who is behind us. And he wants to tell us all that God has done here to save us and to make us one of his family, to remind us of who's with us. And that's going to give us point number one today, which is we need to remember that God's got you. Remember God has got you. And if God's got you, if you are a real Christian, it should translate into one over-the-top fringe benefit that will propel you forward in the race God has given you. And that is that you should have total and complete assurance of your salvation. If God did this from start to finish, then, then there's no one and no thing that can ever take it away from you. No matter what happens, no matter how long this excruciating marathon of being sheltered from COVID-19 is, if God's got us, we're going to make it out the other side. If we've surrendered to him, we're his and we're his forever. So just like Gabriella, I'm sure, had to call to mind those who were behind her as she was trying to make her way around that track, she must have had to recall people who stood behind her, people like her mom and her dad, her husband, her coaches through the years, maybe her teammates, maybe even her countrymen. So too, we need to remember who is behind us and who's got our back so that we don't hit the wall, so that we can continue racing, so we can continue moving on. Because knowing who's with us is going to give us the stick to we need to finish up well. So Paul wants to remind us here of all that God has done for us. So he's going to begin in verse 13, and he's going to tell us a bunch of things about what God did. He says, we are beloved by the Lord, in verse 13, because God shows you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We Christians, we are loved by God here, it says, and he proved it by choosing to save us even before the world began. And that means if he chose us, that our forgiveness had nothing to do with us or what we would or wouldn't do. And he had done the same for the nation of Israel so many years before. Listen to how he describes his relationship and his choosing of them. It's in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. It says, For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. God willingly set his love on his people back then and even today. And this truth is echoed throughout the New Testament as well in places like Romans 8.30, which says those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Or Ephesians 1.4, which says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Or 1 Thess 1.4, which we studied at the beginning of the year that says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God plucked out his people out of all the world just because he loved us. And that reminds me of a story of a dad, a dad who went to a Central American country to adopt a baby girl many, many years ago. And it seemed that everywhere he went, he met roadblock after roadblock. And next to each roadblock, there was always a person standing there that promised to help him for a price. It actually got ridiculous at one point. He thought he was on a movie set somewhere uh, when a shadowy figure approached him and began threatening him if he was to go to the U.S. consulate for help. Well, the man continued to fight, and he refused to leave that country without his daughter, a little girl, by the way, that he had never met. At that point, she was just a small and helpless baby. He had no idea that she would win any awards or ace any tests. He didn't know that her smile would light up a room or that she would love cats or that one day she would play Mozart on the piano beautifully. All that he knew was that she was his daughter, she was an orphan, but for some crazy reason, this guy was willing to stay. He was willing to negotiate with corrupt officials and pay obscene amounts of money and even risk his life to win this little girl. Some years later, his daughter, Maria, would stand up at her high school graduation party and just spontaneously and sincerely thank all of those around her who had meant so much to her and who had given her a better life in the United States. Surely at that moment... Her dad's eyes must have welled up with tears, and he must have been moved by that spontaneous act of gratitude that came from his daughter. He must have thought back to those trying and dangerous times and thought it's all worth it. Ladies, that's exactly what God has done for us. He pursued us even when it was costly to him, even before we had done anything to love or follow him. We did nothing to earn his love, and so now we should just stand in, in awe of the fact that we are his that he's chosen us, that he loves us, that he will never leave us, that he will always keep us secure through this virus and beyond into eternity. Now, if that doesn't convince you how amazing the gift of God choosing us and loving us is, um, then surely the past couple weeks of women's Bible study would do it too. Because both Stephanie and Natalie have been sharing with us over the last few weeks how People, a huge number of people are deceived about the truth and will spend eternity separated from God, both in Thessalonica and now here in Southern California. And all you have to do is think about the people that are sheltering around you to realize that it's true. Those people that are around you, they are blinded. They're blinded to the hope that you have in Christ. Um, and their experience during this quarantine time is completely different than the one that you have behind your doors because God has opened your eyes. He's helped you to understand the truth. And because of that, he has given you hope. 
Um, that's what Paul says when he um, means when he says here at the end of verse 13 that they believed in the truth. Even that came from God, that they could see the truth and understand the truth and not just have it as a bunch of facts to be affirmed, but something they could trust in, that they understood their sin and they understood Christ's payment for them. And if you've been sharing the gospel because of our study in Acts through this last fall, um, or if you've been sharing it because you've been leveraging this coronavirus for God's kingdom, you know that even if you share the gospel in what you believe to be the most perfect way for this person, so they could totally understand it, if, if you chose your words just right, it still doesn't mean that they're going to understand it. It still doesn't mean that their eyes are going to be open. It still doesn't mean that they're going to respond to it. But because God chose you, you had that understanding. You had it and your mind is opened. And we should be uh, both amazed and profoundly grateful, this passage tells us, because of it. Well, then verse 13 goes on to say, he loved us, he chose us to be the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Well, what are these first fruits? In the Old Testament, people were required by God to bring the first and the best of their fields, of their orchards, of their pastures to God. And it says here that the Thessalonians themselves are the first fruits here, or the first ones that would be saved in their town, which implies that there would be more. But it also tells us something else, and that is that, you know, these things, this, you know, grain or livestock or bread dough that was given in the Old Testament was something that was given to God for his use. It was something that a family could have benefited from, but they sacrificed it willingly to show their dependence on God. It was set apart for God. And in a very real way, the Thessalonians were also set apart for God here. He said they were sanctified through the Holy Spirit, which means that not only would they be right before God at their conversion, be remade and reborn and holy before God, but that they would also be set apart for his use and to live for him and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that from then on. The same is true for us. We're set apart, not just in holiness at that moment, but to continue to live a life that is pleasing to him and set apart for him. And then in our passage, we see a cool little nugget here because we see the whole Trinity in our passage today. The Son loved us, the Father chose us, the Spirit sanctifies us. It is an ironclad guarantee that the job is done. We can have total assurance that God's got us and he's got us forever. It doesn't matter how long we're sheltered. It doesn't matter even how many of us get this virus. It doesn't matter even if God in his sovereignty was to call some of us to heaven because of it. We have nothing to fear. It may kill the body, but then after that, there is nothing more it can do to us. We need to not be afraid because passages like John 10, 27, and 28 tell us this. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We are safe in his hands, and I, like you, realize that has never been more comforting than it is to us right now. We are safe in his hands. But sadly, ladies, if that's true, if we're safe in his hands, right? We're safe in his hands, we're in, and we're never getting out, okay? But sadly, the reverse of that is also true. Those people that are not in his hands, they're not in, 
and they're not safe. And that's why the most important thing that we could even talk about today is making sure that if you're on the fence, or if you're not positive that your sin has been taken care of, or if you are deathed out, death, deathly afraid and freaked out by this whole thing, and you're shaking in your boots over this COVID-19 virus, that you make sure that you're actually in his hands, that you're actually safe there, that your sins have actually been forgiven. It's the most important thing we can talk about. You need to be sure, because there's nothing you can do to be good enough. Only God can make you good enough. And there were two soils, remember? Pastor Mike even mentioned it this weekend at the sermon. There were two soils who responded to God and looked right from the outside, remember? But they fell away in times of trouble. We need to be sure. We need to turn to him. We need to trust in him. We need to make sure that we're really right with him because the only safe place is with him. It doesn't matter how much social distancing you do or how many hand washings you go through. It doesn't even matter if you're exposed to this virus. What matters most of all is that the perfect hand sanitizer, the perfect payment for our sin, Jesus Christ, is someone that you know and someone that has paid for your sin and sanitized you from your sin so that you can stand before him perfect and complete. If you don't know that for sure, you need to make sure that you talk to your small group leader or some trusted godly friend and make sure. Maybe this coronavirus was here to to make sure you question and are on the right side of this thing when this is all over. Verse 14 then goes on to say, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This being called here means basically having the gospel shared with you. And we find out in the book of Acts that even that came from God here because Paul and his guys were set headed actually to a place called Bithynia before um, the Macedonian call came to them and God told them, no, come over here. And he redirected them over to the area where Thessalonica was in Philippi and Berea. And God actually sent these guys a message to get them to share the gospel in these people's town. And you know what? He did the same for you. At some point, he had someone share the gospel with you and you were called in that way. Then it says that we were called to share in the glory of Christ. Well, um, we talked about already how the Holy Spirit makes us holy at that point in our conversion, when we're remade and reborn. Um, But we're going to get more glory than that because we've studied it before, especially in 1 Thessalonians, that someday um, we're going to get bodies that are perfect, pretty, productive, and pure. Remember, we talked about the last time I was with you. We grow now because we don't have those new bodies that are perfect, pretty, productive, and pure. We don't have our new bodies. And when we don't have them, we live in bodies that are susceptible to things like COVID-19, right? But it's not going to always be that way, ladies. Someday, we're going to get the glory of the Lord fully by getting these new bodies. Now, if this doesn't motivate you to keep going in your race, then I don't know what else will, that we're going to someday be through this life and get glorified bodies and move on to eternity. Now, if God's got you, um, then what should you do about it? Particularly as we're sheltering here, um, what should we do if God's got us? Well, the passage is clear. Actually, this passage is super clear here that there's a couple things we need to do. And the first is just obvious. We need to thank God. We need to thank God that we're actually saved. 
Thank God that you're actually saved. Um, thanking God for it is important. It's imperative, and it should be overwhelming. We just read this in our daily Bible reading last week. The woman who had um, been a sinful woman, and she was forgiven, and she was so grateful that she sat at Jesus' feet and she wept over the forgiveness that he had given her. She wept, and she wept onto his feet. And then she took her hair, and she wiped his feet with her hair. That's how overwhelmed she was with gratitude for his forgiveness. Ladies, we need to be thanking God and praising God for saving us and for doing every single step that it took to save us. And we need to be worshiping him more, which is one of the reasons why even during this sheltering, I've been posting a hymn every day so that we can be reminded to be worshiping him more. Even as the virus threatens outside our door, it should make us even more thankful that we're saved and that we're safe. And then we need to act like we're safe and like we're saved. And we need to be different. And that's the next thing. We need to live fearlessly. What do we do about the fact that God's got us? We live fearlessly in these days. We live fearlessly in these days. Even as I tried to explain to a non-Christian recently, I told her, I said, listen, she was very concerned for me and my safety. And I said, listen, I'm not freaked out at all, not for me and not for my family. And I really meant it. I'm not. I'm not because I'm safe. It doesn't mean that I'm out there doing some reckless thing or not being cautious. I'm being prudent. But it means that I I trust God. And I, I know that not only was the first day of my life on God's calendar, but so is the last. And he's got me and he knows me and I trust him. And so I need to live fearlessly. And as I presented again to this gal, the only hope that she has, the only hope that I have, and that is that Christ would save us and protect us. She rejected it. And my heart was saddened as, again, she was unwilling to embrace the only hope of safety that I have for her. But it's not the only hope for safety that I have with my Christian sisters, because we're as safe as we could possibly be, because God has got us forever, which means we need to live with hope, with hope and without fear. And we should read passages, familiar passages, passages we know with a whole different mindset. Here's one for us to think through and read differently. Romans 8. Romans 8, 35 to 39, you know it, but now think of it in light of our current situation. Romans 8, 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or even COVID-19. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death nor life, no, wait a minute, we usually pass through that really fast. Death or life, yeah, whatever. But think about it. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, including what happens tomorrow with all of this, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember, ladies, God's got you. Well, obviously, we need to sink deep down into that truth that God has us, and we need to let that take us closer to the finish line of our race, but there is more. Because verse 15 continues, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. 
either by our spoken word or by our letter. This one is really simple. It's very straightforward. We stand firm and we hold on to what you've been taught. In order for us to hang in there and to be more, you know, to make more progress in this crazy race we've got in front of us, we need a point number two, be resolute about the truth. Be resolute about the truth. Now, I picked resolute because it means to be firmly resolved or determined, to be set on something. And it, when it comes to Bible-believing, God-is-my-king kind of Christians, we can be nothing but steadfast when it comes to the Bible, to the truth of the Word of God. Verse 15 says, so then, brothers, which implies that something has come before it. Well, we just did it. We just talked about it. God's got us. And last week, we talked about people are deceived. And the week before, people are perishing. With Because of all of that and Paul's hope for them not to be led astray or lose ground, he wants them to stand firm. He wants them to hang on to the truth. To stand firm means to persevere or to persist at something. To hang on means never let go, right? Before we talk about what we're supposed to have our hands super glued to, let's remember what these people were living through in Thessalonica. They were continually being posed opposed by their family members, by their neighbors, by their community, by their countrymen, by their government officials, by their employers, because of their Christianity. They were constantly being knocked down for it. And Paul wants to remind them to get back up again. When I was a kid, I had a toy that reminds me of this perfectly. It was this punching bag, and it stood maybe about so high, about as tall as I was. And it was a punching bag, and mine had Bozo the Clown on it. Maybe you had one. I don't know who was on yours, but mine had Bozo the Clown on it. And, uh, you know, no matter what you did to this punching bag, it would always pop down and back up again right? Because the designers of this punching bag had made this rounded bottom and they put some sand in it that would weight the, the bag down. And every time you hit it, it would pop back up again. So no matter how hard my little six-year-old fist would hit it, right? Or how fast it would hit it. Or even if I had my older sister or my big cousin come in, every time you hit that punching bag, it would go down and then pop back up again, bounce back up again. Well, that's exactly what Paul wants the Thessalonians and us to do when it comes to the traditions that he mentions here. Well, those traditions, the traditions are actually the information they've gotten from Paul, either in person or when he wrote them these letters of First and Second Thessalonians, or when even Timothy came to talk to them. This is the, the, the truth from God. Now, how do we know that? Well, because in 1 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul actually says to the Corinthians, remember everything and maintain the traditions I delivered to you. It's another word for instruction, for teaching. It's actually the same word that's used of Jesus as he instructs his disciples or when he teaches them the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. We're talking about the Bible here. Now, in Thessalonica, they only had pieces of it at that moment. We have the whole thing. We have the completed form of this. We have God's truth on our laps and on our devices. We're talking about the word of God here. So they're supposed to hang on to the word of God which means no matter how hard they punch you or how often you get hit or how big your enemy is, he wants you to bounce back and defend the word of God again and again and again. Paul was concerned that they would lose ground, that they might be deceived. He wants them to hold fast and to stand firm. And they're synonymous ways of saying, be true to the convictions that you know from the word of God. Hang on to them. And a cool little part here that we almost skipped over, is that it says brothers stand firm. That's to remind us that we have each other to help us 
stand together in this. Our world seems so against God right now, seems so anti-God, but um, we're going to need each other more than ever right now because of that. I mean, it's, it's tough not to waver with all of this pressure around us, but it makes it a whole lot easier when I know someone else is standing beside me with the same convictions to help me and encourage me along. It reminds me of a phalanx. Now, a phalanx was a strategy that Roman soldiers used, and it was when they were out on the battlefield and they were, you know, an enemy was coming against them. They would quickly take their, their shields, which are those big rectangle pieces that they would hold, their big shields, and they would come together and they would almost lock their shields all next to each other, and they would make an impenetrable wall that way. And I'll tell you what, if you had a row after row after row of these phalanxes marching against you, there was no way you were getting through it. But if a soldier was out on his own, he was, of course, way more vulnerable. Knowing that we've got our siblings around us, ladies, it helps us to stand firm and to hold fast and to be resolute in the truth. Well, how can we be more resolute in the truth of the Bible right now? It's simple. We need to work harder at knowing and understanding our Bible. And uh, it's going to start with us having a commitment from the very beginning not to squander these hours that we have during our sheltering under COVID-19, okay? And here are lots of ways that we would do not want to squander that. We want to get more of that information about the Bible truth into our mind. First of all, we got to start reading the Bible. Now, hopefully you're already doing this with us, but if you're not, now is the time. If you're not doing it regularly, now is the time. Um, we've made it so easy. You don't even actually have to have your Bible open on your lab. You can just go to our website and click on that big yellow button that says daily Bible reading. Awesome. We're all doing it together. But I would encourage you to go a step farther than that. Find a few friends, maybe from your small group or your accountability partner, a couple of friends that you can start a text thread with. Shout out to Alexandra and John. I got this idea from them. But having a text thread where you talk about your daily Bible reading. I have a couple of friends I do this with where we just read the Bible and then we text each other about what we learned that day, what God had impressed us with, what we are going to apply. You don't have to be eloquent. It's you and a couple friends. You're going to be amazed and encouraged as you hear what everybody else is hearing from God's word. You didn't even notice that little chunk. And then there they are saying it. Wow, that's so great. And it's going to spur you on. Another thing we can do besides reading the Bible is getting the Bible content that Compass is putting out, getting that in front of your face. Get that Bible content in front of your face. Start with the morning devotionals, which or the intro to the daily Bible reading, or the evening Bible studies Pastor Mike is doing. If you've got kids, our Awana program is putting out videos for all three levels. Even if your kid's not in Awana, get the lessons and have your kids sit down and learn the Bible. Or our weekends, our weekend kids curriculum. This weekend was awesome. Shout out to Pastor Doug and his team, that Palm Sunday lesson with the music and the verses and the drama. It was awesome. Amazing. If you've got a junior hire, make sure that they're on Instagram live every morning at eight o'clock. Pastor John and Alexandra are reading the Bible with them and commenting about it. And learn on the weekends, Philippians, or how about Zooming with Pastor Rod and True North? Um, they're on Instagram Live morning and afternoon. They've got a devotional, and they're learning Colossians on the weekend. Pastor PJ's got our students at the bridge learning Ecclesiastes right now. Lots of Bible content for our students. Or um, how about getting more by being in Pastor Pete's class, or being a part of the podcast, men's, women's, thriving marriage. There is so much biblical content coming out of this place. Um, we need to get this wealth of Bible thinking right in front of our face. Another way we can learn to be more resolute is connecting with people who are resolute. Um, hopefully, you're Zooming with your small group. Obviously, this is Women's Bible Study, so you have a small group. Don't miss those opportunities to sit 
virtually next to someone who is resolute about God's word and learn from them and grow with them and find encouragement in that. If you're not a part of your small group, get there. If your schedule allows, you can add even more Bible thinking and teaching by grabbing a book you've always wanted to read or doing partners with someone or joining a life group you haven't been a part of before. Thrive, Alliance, Abide, Together. There are lots of places you can study God's word more and be with more people who love God's word next to you. Don't let the coronavirus or anything else keep you from getting more of God's word in your life. I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. Um, We were discussing how before the COVID-19 sheltering that everyone was saying, oh, I don't have, you know, a lot of people in our ministries are saying, well, I don't don't have time. I don't have time to study the Bible. I have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to come to small group. And how afterwards, unfortunately, sadly, we're hearing the same kinds of excuses. I don't have time. And it's funny because God basically closed the whole world three weeks ago, and uh, we still don't have time. And what that makes us realize is it's not about the time. It's about the person making the decisions of what fits into their time slots. Well, now is the time for us to resolve to get more of God's word in our life. Don't let anything move you from doing that. Get up every day determined to let God's word into your life first before you are doing things like the news, social media, or um, you know, finding out what's on Netflix today. Fill your mind with God's word and evaluate everything else through the lens of that. And it's just like what I'm sure Gabriella was doing. Gabriella was trying to get around that track. And you better believe she had lots of knowledge in her head about marathons, tracks, probably even dehydration and muscles and how to get through the final stretch. And those things were rolling through her head, trying to get herself propelled forwards. That's what we need to do too. That's why I'm so proud um, to call Compass Bible Church my home. I mean, I loved it before the coronavirus thing, but I love it even more now. I assume you do too. It's because what I've discovered is how committed we are to getting good biblical content out there for every single age group in our church. Every CBC or benefits from the youngest to the oldest because you know what's been proven here? What's been proven here is that the Bible is central at Compass Bible Church. And we have lots of ways to learn and grow in being more resolute in the word of God. Now, this all leads us to our last point, which we're going to find in verse 16 and 17. This is Paul's prayer here. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is what people have called a wish prayer because Paul is here asking God for something, but at the same time, he's also reminding the Thessalonians of what they need to do at the same time. And of course, it comes on the heels of God saying, the Bible needs to be your foundation. Stick with it, right? But Paul doesn't want them to just know the Bible. He, of course, wants them to do the Bible. So point number three today is put God's word into practice. Put God's word into practice. You see, it's not enough just to hear something or even to understand it. We have to actually do it. Um, We don't want to be like three-year-old Beverly, which I read about this week. And three-year-old Beverly was busy playing with her toys and her mom was across the room folding laundry. And who knows, maybe they were quarantined at the time. I don't know. But she's folding laundry and she looks over at Beverly and she realizes that Beverly's shirt's all dirty. And so she decides she wants Beverly to go change her shirt. Well, maybe that wasn't quarantine because we probably wouldn't care if Beverly had a dirty shirt. But anyway, she says, Beverly, go change your shirt. 
She says it one time, and there's no response. So she calls out to Beverly a second time. Beverly, go change your shirt. Still no response. Third time, she does what every good mom does. She says, Beverly Elizabeth Provost, did you hear me? To which the three-year-old little girl said, yes, mama, my ears did, but my legs didn't. Yes, ladies, we want our ears and our legs and everything else to be ready to get up and move and do more and practice more of God's word. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 16. He's praying and he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Okay, He's taking us back to almost even where we started and listing a bunch of things that the Father and the Son have done for us. But now he's going to add something else, eternal comfort and good hope, which are pretty synonymous to one another. This comfort, this comfort is the good feelings or the peace that we get from being saved, having assurance that we are God's no matter what. And the good hope is that, but it also has an emphasis on the return of Christ. Now, we know the Thessalonians have been, you know, eagerly anticipating the return of Christ and that this has come up over and over and that they do have hope. Paul has commended them for that, but it should be our confidence too, ladies. Even if the COVID-19 numbers rise, even if they get bad out there, we are Christ, we're safe forever, and he's coming back for us. That should be our eternal comfort and our good hope. Now let's look at Paul's request. He asks God to comfort their hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Paul asks God to help them to do what they already know from their Bibles, to do the good works and the words that he's planned out for them. Right here, right now, whether they're suffering or not, sheltering or not, financially sound or not, ladies, we need to be doing the good things God has already told us to do that we already know. Remember back in point one, we said that we were sanctified by the Holy Spirit and that That means he expects us to live differently. This is a theme that's come up in Thessalonians over and over again too, our sanctification and living different. The very first lesson I taught you back in September, the three points were thanking God for changed lives, working on our changed life, and thanking God for changing us. Here's this theme again, living a life that's changed. Paul knows in order for us to do these good works and to say these good words consistently that we're going to need some help. So he's calling in God himself for the assist here. He says he wants him to do two things for the Thessalonians, comfort their hearts and establish them. Now to comfort is that word parakaleo. We've heard it before. It means to come alongside someone. We know that the Holy Spirit is said to do that for Christians, to come alongside them, to guide them and lead them and encourage them. Um, Paul knows that Christians are going to need encouragement to keep doing these good deeds, okay? But he also says he wants them to be established. To be established means to be strengthened. It's the exact same word that Jesus used when he told Peter, hey, Peter, after you deny me and you are returned and restored, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to be a firm support for them. So Paul asked God here to encourage them and to strengthen them so that they can keep doing the good deeds that they needed to do. But Paul knew full well that they were already doing them. In fact, back in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul said he knows that the Thessalonians are living to please the Lord. He just wants them to do it more and more. And I'm here to confidently say, compass women, I know you're already doing these good things, but I too want you to do them more and more. I want you to have the encouragement and the strength that you need to keep doing them even while we're in this 
season of life and practicing what you've learned from your Bible. Just keep doing it. Surely Gabriella must have faced the same thing. She had the right mechanics for marathon running in her head. She had to have. She would never have qualified for the Olympics if she didn't. So I'm sure she was calling to mind those things and those times when even it was difficult and she was facing challenge after challenge when she had done the right thing. She knew the right thing and she had done it. And she was looking back at her experience to keep her moving forward. (sighs) We need to do that too. But there's more. Because see, Paul understood that Doing these good things and living this good life of pleasing the Lord, it was a two-man job, really. We need to work, and God needs to work. That's what Philippians 2.13 says. It says, we work out our salvation, and God does too. And Paul explains it again in 1 Corinthians 15.10 when he says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. I worked harder than any of the other disciples, but it was not I, but the grace of God in me. We work and he works, and we need his encouragement and strength to pull this thing off. And when I think of working and trusting God, I can never think of a biblical example other than Nehemiah. He just screams out at me from the pages of scripture. This guy prayed. He prayed often. He depended on God, and yet he was a master strategist. And we find that he had plans for his people. He went out and and checked things out around the wall. Even late at night when no one was with him, he would walk around the wall to see what was going on. And then he came up with a plan where he told everyone, I want you to build the wall but I also with a trowel in one hand and a weapon in the other because they were facing opposition. You see, they didn't just pray and then sit there and wait for supernatural help. No, they worked. They worked and they prayed. So ladies, let me urge you, don't just wash your hands and stop gathering with people. That's what your non-Christian neighbors are doing. Do so much more. Pray and trust God. And then do those other precautions that you've been doing. Pray and trust God more than you do the CDC or your news reports or the washing of hands that you're doing. So what can we do now to practice the truth that we already know? Well, I'm confident that you're not forsaking your assembling together. Um, And what that means is that I know you're listening to the weekend's videos, which means I know what you've already been learning lately. The last four weeks, I know what you've been learning from the pulpit on Sunday. You've learned to be calm and pray instead of freaking out from Philippians 4. You have learned to uh, let the Bible impact everything you do in every moment from Psalm 1. You have learned to wait patiently with your mindset on the future from Hebrews 12. And you have learned to thrive as a church community from 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3. So let me ask you, how are you doing in applying those things? Right? Are you actually letting your reasonableness be known to all? Are you actually delighting in the Lord day and night? Are you running with endurance the race that's set before you? Or are you affirming and caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ? That's what we've learned, and that's what we need to be doing. It gets even more challenging when I turn to the one another's. As you're sheltering at home with your family, are you living at peace with them? Are you bearing others' burdens? Are you encouraging, instructing, and being humble? Are you not grumbling, envying, or stirring others up to love and good deeds? That's what we've been learning from God's word. That's what we actually need to be applying and doing day by day by day. So let's get practical, and let's pick something to get started with from that list somewhere. I know the messages and everything's coming fast and furious right now. We got great biblical content. And I once encouraged you to take one post-it note and write one to-do list on it and stick it up on your wall and do that until the next message came and then rip it off and do that until the next message came and rip it off. And you could do that. But right now we've got so much great teaching coming at us. I've got another suggestion. How about we do three things? We have three post-it notes that go up. 
One from the weekend message. Let's put that one on our refrigerator, okay? We're all going to go to the refrigerator while we're sheltering, right? And then how about a one another? Let's put a one another on the bathroom mirror every day. I hope we're all going to go to the bathroom mirror, even if you're not going to brush your hair. I hope you're going to brush your teeth. And then let's all put a to-do from women's Bible study. How about on the laundry room door, right? I hope you're going to clean your laundry for your family at some point. So you got three applications going. Or here's another idea. I took all the post-it notes down in my house and I started over. I decided, wow, if I'm supposed to be doing the one another's and relating to my Christian brothers and sisters in this way, I better make sure I saturate my mind. So I took down all my post-it notes and I put all of the one another's up that we've been learning from Pastor Mike. There's a couple ways that you can be doing what you've already been learning already, but do something. Tell your small group leader, get your accountability partner involved, but do something now. Do something tomorrow and keep trying to practice what you've been learning. Well, it took Gabriella Anderson Sheese an excruciating five minutes and 44 seconds to cross the finish line, but she did it. And as I was watching her, all I could think is, wow, this is one determined lady. I mean, I was watching her live. These were not the days when you were, you know, going back and seeing it a million times. I was watching her live, and it was shocking. And that image of her steadfast and determined and tenacious dedication still is burned in my memory banks because that woman was not going to let anything stop her. She kept putting one foot in front of the other, no matter what, no matter how fast or slow she went, no matter whether she was tilted or upright, no matter she took a direct path or she meandered some, she was not going to quit. And today, God has a Gabriella-sized lesson for us. 21st century compass women sheltered in COVID-19, it's a message to urge us on to help us keep going and never give up, no matter what changes whether we have changes in our bodies, our schedules, our homes, our families, our communities, our jobs, our finances, even our grocery store excursions. Don't give up. Keep doing what you know is right. Be steadfast and determined no matter what. If you're one of God's kids, you've got to keep doing this, even on these most uncertain days. We need to do it today. We need to do it tomorrow. We need to do it this month. Let's do these three things. Let's remember God's got us. Let's resolutely hold on to his truth and let's practice God's word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful for the fact that you have left us sheltering, but you've left us sheltering with the word of God. You have not left us alone where we have no hope. You have not left us alone where we have no instruction. You have um, not left us alone where we have no direction. And um, I know that this passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17, you've sovereignly placed even at this time to be in our life, to encourage us on, to remind us who's with us, to remind us where we need to sink our hope and to make sure we are out walking and doing the things that we are supposed to be doing as we traverse through this sheltered time. I just want to thank you, last of all, that we're never alone while we do this. What a, what a treasure it is to know that you are with us no matter what. I pray for my sisters to have great small groups and to really encourage one another to do these things well. In Jesus' name, amen.